Welcome to season two of Career Resilience, where we talk with people about their career path and their career journey, and maybe we can all learn from each other. My name is Jan Daniluk, and I'm a human resources consultant in London, Ontario, Canada. I work with Ford Keist LLP, providing human resources advice and counsel to my business clients. I also support people through individual one-on-one coaching in helping with career development. I hope you will enjoy our series where we talk with ordinary, extraordinary people. We get to hear about interesting journeys. We get to talk with people about failures, successes, advice, and counsel to us as we develop our own careers. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with these people, and I hope you will enjoy listening to it. And now for some logistics, please subscribe on YouTube, or if you're a listener, please follow me wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a chance, I hope you'll visit my website, career-resilience.com. Welcome. My guest today is Steph Connolly. Steph, welcome to Career Resilience. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, it is great to see you. And let's establish where we are. So first of all, I'm in London, Ontario, Canada, uh, where we are going through quite a heat wave at the moment. Uh, Where are you? I'm currently in Bali, Indonesia, and it has been raining most of the day here. So yeah. Is this the rainy (laughs) season? It's not the rainy season, but unfortunately, it seems to be raining quite a lot. Um, I think we've got some weather warnings coming up for the next week, but it can't always be sunshine, right? No, no, that's true. Words to live by there. (laughs) Now, I think we can tell from your accent that you're not from Bali. So where are you originally from? Uh, So I'm originally from the UK. Uh, I was born in a place called Kent, which is just outside of London. However, I know nothing about it because I was raised uh, in Malaysia and Dubai and then random parts of the UK have moved all over. Some would describe me as a bit of a mutt. We don't know where I'm from. <laughs> okay. So I think you have an accent. I think it's quite lovely. Do you think yeah. I have an accent? I would say so. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And is, is your accent posh? Yes, I would say I'm extremely well-spoken, even though I sound nothing like my family, completely different. Oh, okay. And and you're aware of that, that you sound different from the rest of your family? Yes, absolutely. My dad is from East London, so he has a bit more of a Cockney twang. My mum's from Wales, so she has more of a Northern twang to her accent. And then my brother... um, he lives in Dubai, so he has a very mixed bag. Of, you know, one of those typical, um, what would you call it, like an expatriate accent. Whereas I am very Queen's English. Let's just say. Okay, got it. It's it's so different from um, anything we sort of think about here. So it's interesting. Now, can you do a Canadian or an American accent? Are you able to do that? No, but. There are certain words that Canadians say. So I have a, I have a couple of really good Canadian friends. And what are some of the words that <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna have to think on that one? They'll come to me, but I used to actually say some of them just because of the way in which you would pr- pronounce. I think it's your O's, and you say them slightly differently. And then the American, I live with an American, 
So she's all, she's, yeah, very, she's most recently Florida. So she's very, yeah. It's not, it's not too whiny though. It's not a whiny American accent. <laughs> okay. Um, I can say pretty well one word in, in a British accent. Would you like to hear it? I'd love to. Okay. Chocolate. <laughs> Chocolate. <laughs> Okay, so let's so let's get a little bit um, serious about what we're going to chat about today. Yeah, and we're going to talk about uh, a couple of things that are, are sort of serious stuff. Things like anxiety, talking about being stuck and getting unstuck, and yeah. also just sort of um, women in in the world today. So so let's get into to getting to know you a little bit though, and if you could tell us about what you do for a living now and what led you there? Yeah, absolutely. So I have been in business for myself for the past eight months, going into my ninth month now. Um, I work within the personal branding space. However, what I would like classify my role as is a content strategist and a copywriter. So what I pretty much do is I work with founders of businesses and I become them online. Um, I give them a content strategy and more often than not, they don't have the time or the capacity to fulfill that content. So I become them. I have numerous personalities, anything from a 35-year-old crypto accountant, a male crypto accountant, let's say, uh, to a successful multi-entrepreneurial 28-year-old who is a female um, from Amsterdam. So I, two completely different ends of the spectrum. So that's what I do, but predominantly personal branding space. So do you, Steph, do blogs for them and so on? Is that kind of... Uh, Yeah, I write their social media content predominantly on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is my platform of choice when it comes to the clients in which I work with. And then I do, so I do social copy and long form copy. And then I also help them establish um, a strategy for market, whether that's launching their podcast, um, putting things onto Twitter, you know, those kind of things. So whatever it is that they want to do, we then work together to establish a nice sort of launch process or streamline something or a system. So yeah, anything from social copy to um, your long form copy, emails, things like that. Anything to do with writing, finding a voice, telling a story, that's where I come in. And I, and I should mention, you were very helpful to me in starting my own podcast. Yeah, it was good. Ago, so look at you here. Still going. <laughs> here we are. Love it. Um, so what did you do before that? What other okay. things have you done in your career? I have one of those stories where I, I'll get, I'll give you the lowdown. When I was 27 years old, I was in an teaching job. So before I did any of this, I actually have a specialism with children with dyslexia. So I have a master's in child psychology and then I did my teaching after. Um, I was living in Dubai and teaching in schools over there. And as much as I loved everything that I did, and this is where my love of English came in pretty much because I, I fell into this kind of English trap where I would tell stories and teach these children how to find passion in their work. You know, 
I work with kids who never wanted to pick up their pen because they didn't want to make mistakes because I feel that, you know, there's so much pressure within the education system to hit certain targets. And I wanted to strip all of that away for them to find love in just telling stories. So I did that for a while, but I was deeply unhappy. I was working long hours, um, not feeling fulfilled, you know, just working my way up the ladder, trying to get as much money as I could. I was working full time and then tutoring on top of it. Mm. So I hit, uh, probably it was the end of 2016, 2017, I think it was where I just said enough, I've had enough. So I quit my job and I started my own tutoring business, um, which took off with like super successfully. Um, within a month, I was making just as much money as I was in a full-time role and I was working for myself. I would say six months later, I was ready, not even that actually, four months later, I was ready to scale and look for an office space, look for other tutors, bring other people on. But I actually came out of a long-term relationship at the time and I thought, I have no commitments. My business isn't fully set up yet. I don't, I'm not in a relationship and let's just go do something different. So I decided to throw myself in to a social media internship in Bali. Now I came over here for two and a half months to start with and ended up staying for two and a half years, which yeah, meant I could completely pivot my career. And I met some of the most amazing people who taught me everything there was about business and, um, social media, LinkedIn, writing, sales, copy, absolutely everything. Mm. I was mentored by incredibly successful businessmen over here and women as well. Uh, I found myself in a place where I could grow mentally, physically, and also academically. Um, And so that's where the kind of like writing a personal branding space formed, but that didn't actually happen until mid pandemic where I kind of stepped more into that, um, that personal branding space. So last year, um, in the, at the end of January, I was, I, went into a new business. It was a small personal branding agency ran by a girl from the UK. And I took a massive hit on my salary. And I just thought I'm going to throw myself into this because I don't know what I want to do with my life. I'm really confused. Mm. Um, I've, you know, we've just come out of a pandemic. Um, I, I don't really know. So, you know, I just decided to allow myself to go back to basic salary. I mean, I was earning more when I was probably at university working in a bar to, (laughs) you know, living in my brother's flat, living at my partner at the time's parents' household. You know, I didn't have enough money at the end of every month, but I knew that by doing this, it gave me the opportunity and the space for me to think about what I really want to be doing with my life. So yeah, I did that until, um, October when she shut the agency down and I, I started my own. Um, and that's where we are now. (laughs) How in going through all this, because you, you fully admit that, that you have anxiety 
Yeah. How does how does that all fit in with being uh, gutsy enough to do all these things that are somewhat insecure? Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I probably questioned myself with every single decision that I made. I was terrified in, you know, making a decision and getting it wrong. But I think one of the main things that I knew, I knew I I had to do it because if I didn't do it, I would just stay where I was. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the thing. And I also had I didn't have many, especially when I lived in the UK, I felt like I didn't have many people around me who were a support network, but I felt safe enough to be able to make mistakes and learn and just do it. Mm -hmm. And I think when I started the business, there was nothing glamorous about it. I was, I turned 31. I had no money in my bank account. I moved in with my mum and dad. I the only reason, and I say this and I feel emotional thinking about it, the only reason I was able to successfully get to where I am now is because my mum made me breakfast, lunch and dinner every day uh, for what, October, November, December, for four months to get to where, so that I could book a flight and get out of the UK again. And she looked at me and she said, where is the woman that I knew when you were in Bali, you need her back. So I just got my head down. There was nothing. I barely left the house. I barely showered. I was, you know, I just drove myself as much as I possibly could. I took clients on, even if I didn't want the clients, even if it was low paying, just so that I could hit certain goals. And I did it. I had minus £2.50 in my bank account at the start of October. I had to have my boyfriend at the time pay for my birthday dinner. I didn't have any money to like order breakfast the next day. And that month I made £7,000. So, and I wrote down in my, in my book, I still have it. I still have the picture of it. I still have everything where I just, I said to myself, I wrote down, you're going to make consistent 5k months you're so, I'm so proud of you. I can't believe you've done it. This is the most amazing thing that you've ever done. And I did it. And I mean, writing things down like that seems silly sometimes, but unless you put that thing in that effort in behind it as well, of just like driving yourself to make yourself, as my friend says, taking messy and inspired action every day, 1%. And if you can, like, even I had to drag myself out of bed, bearing in mind as well, I wasn't able to sleep until three, four in the morning. My anxiety was through the roof. I, I, but I just knew I had to do it because otherwise, what was I doing? You know, I'd made all of these decisions previously to change my life and lead a life the way that I wanted to lead a life and not like anybody else. And if I kept, if I preached it, I had to practice it. That was kind of it. How how much um, do you think women yourself are driven by what happens in our relationships with men? I mean, massively. I think by society standards, a lot of the time, and I mean, it is getting so much better now. Don't get me wrong, it is, but there's still so much misogyny out there and just 
you know, the, the differences when it comes to male and females in the workplace. But I think a lot of women believe that to feel fulfilled, we need to have a partner on our arm and they need to be the breadwinner and they need to be the ones that are going to take care of us for the rest of our lives. Do you think that's, do you, do you think that's still a thought process? No, I think it's changing so much so that men actually feel quite intimidated by it, especially certain groups of men. Um, I think the conversation is changing massively, but I've seen it like front and center men fear women who have their own opinion, who want to do their own thing, who are too independent for their own good. Um, (laughs) And that's, and that's something now I think the, obviously the conversation is changing and the narrative is looking very different now because so many more women are stepping up and they are making business, you know, their, their baby and, you know, they're stepping up and being at the forefront and it's scary because then women compare, women compare like I'll compare myself to another woman or something like that. Like I'm not looking at a man. I'm looking at other women around me um, and thinking, okay, this is amazing. How are they doing that? But then sometimes, you know, you fall into the comparison trap, but I think, I mean, we're floating a a little bit here, but we have masculine and feminine in in, in each of us. And for you to be super successful in a very male dominated world, you have to switch on your masculine a lot more so. So you have to speak louder. You have to work harder. You have to, you know, show your worth to the world so that you can be doing all of these things. And so often we forget how to fall back into that feminine cycle. And I think for me to get my business to where it is now, I had to be so heavily masculine dominated that I've now gotten to a point eight, nine months in where I'm ready to just scale, but by giving it out to other people and stepping back into a more feminine role. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. It's one of those interesting things. So in, in Bali, is, is that where you feel the most at home? I would say so. I think this is a conversation I've had with quite a lot of people recently. We go about our lives trying to find home a lot of the time. Sometimes people are too scared to leave their own home because they feel like they'll never be able to find it anywhere else. And more often than not, what we forget is that home is wherever we choose to make it firstly. So home is us. So we need to look after number one before we even consider grounding ourselves somewhere else. And, and then, yeah, it's about finding, you know, your tribe of people who make you feel like you want to grow and expand yourself and, you know, become a better person. And for me, Bali has that. So whilst I still, I have family in the UK and I have family in Dubai, 
Bali for me is the one place where I can feel my most accepted, mm. my most welcomed. I ha- I am surrounded by so many women who want to see me flourish. They are all on a journey of leveling up and every single one of us is leveling up together. Mm. Whereas when I was in the UK, I found myself very stagnant and different because I couldn't find my tribe. Whereas here... Mm-hmm. I feel more settled than ever. I literally get off the plane and I just, I'm like, oh. really? Yeah. yeah. So, so do you think that then for you, um, this is where you want to settle? Um, this is a process that I'm, I think I'm still going through now mentally. I would say yes, in a way, but also I want to still travel. So I've bought land here, as you know. Um, And so I will be building. So I'm creating a base for the first time in a very long time. I've never had a base. I haven't had anywhere that I can leave things for a while. Uh, I mean, over the pandemic, I gave up all of my furniture, handed it over to people, you know, had things in my cleaner's house for a year and a half. I had no base. So I'm finally going to make conscious effort to create a base. However, I still now want to travel. So my business is being set up in Dubai. So I'll be traveling to Dubai a lot more as I'm also becoming an auntie. So that's another thing. (laughs) And then my family live, my mom and dad live in the UK. So then I'll travel there and I have clients in the UK too. So if I could be anywhere... I would like to be everywhere um, <laughs> until, but yeah, even when I have children, I want that, but I yeah. still, I envision my life with kids who are running around naked in the sand, proper little Island babies. That's how I see it. Yeah. Uh, let's go back because um, we wanted to talk about a little bit about sexual harassment, which believe it or not in this podcast, which is all about career resilience. I've actually never touched on that topic. And I know that you had an experience in university. So can you sort of uh, take us through the experience that you had while in university? Yeah, of course. Um, so throughout my time, oh my God, I'm just getting flashbacks from more than one time that I've had these things. Throughout my time at university, as most women and men, you end up working in a bar. Now, I worked in the hospitality industry for what, since I was 18 to 24. Um, I loved it. It was so much fun. I met so many amazing people. I worked really hard. Um, I worked 40 hour weeks throughout university. Um, I never really did that whole uni thing because I was so determined on being this independent woman. Um, so I worked 40 hour weeks throughout uni, but there was one city that I lived in. So it was Nottingham. And I was doing my master's there and I worked in a Brazilian restaurant and or an Argentinian restaurant. Um, and they would cut the meat off the skewers. You turn the little things on the table from green to red. And I was sort of your lead um, floor gal, uh, like lead server and also the bartender. So I jumped between the two positions. Oh. Um and on more than one occasion, 
the management staff would either make sly passes when I was at work or they would get drunk and they would make passes at me after in a bar. At one point, I had one of the managers, we were out, I was sat down um, and he was sat to my left. He launched himself at me in a bar to kiss me, but in the process, pinned me down. Um, And then I pushed him off. I said, what are you doing? How could you do that? And he says, well, you're just clearly asking for it. You know, you're dressed in this particular way. And I didn't leave my job. I didn't leave the bar that night. I didn't say anything. I just continued on. I didn't really speak to him after, but I felt that I had no say in the matter or a defense because he did it in front of everyone. <laughs> and and they were predominantly men. And he, yeah, he did it in front of everyone and they were all Argentinian and Brazilian and nobody said anything. Nobody even did anything. Nobody even came over to me after or asked if I was okay. It was just brushed under the rug. Yeah. Like most of my experiences have been when it comes to men and sexual harassment. Yep. Brushed under the rug, but was that your choice to brush it under the rug? I mean, I think I was probably too fearful to even say anything. I would have been 22, 23. He was in his 30s. He ran the whole entire place. Um, I just felt like I didn't really have a say or I couldn't, if I tried to argue my case, I would have been shut down. Um, So I just left it. And then, I mean, soon after I stopped working, I remember asking my parents if I could stop working and just focus on finishing my master's. Um, And my mum and dad were like, we didn't even need, you don't even need to be working. I don't know why you're working. Just stop. (laughs) I have this, I have an ego thing where it's like, I've, I've come, I'm very grateful and very lucky that I've come from a family who my dad has worked incredibly hard to get to where he is now, but I never wanted to rely on them. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, You always had that independent streak. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and I never told my parents either about that, but I would also say that it comes down to the fact that I had been in an abusive relationship prior to that. And I just, I probably was just still in trauma mode where I would just bat it off and, you know, mm-hmm. hope for the, hope for the best. I would say that more recently last year, I was on a work night out with my partner and his colleagues too on the same night were incredibly inappropriate to me um, to the point that I then refused to ever go on nights out. He, I made him speak to them and yeah, that was potentially, that was worse than when I was like 22 and these men were married. 
¿Sí? Why was it worse than when you were 22? When you were 22, someone physically launched themselves at you. Mm. I think it was the way in which they spoke to me um, when as, and I was more aware as what well, that, I think that's it. I was more aware of why it was so wrong compared to when I was 22 and just thought he's drunk, just leave it. Yeah. And, and I, you know, was just like, oh, just drunk, just leave it. I felt very uncomfortable. That was really inappropriate, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, 31 year old Steph was fuming how any man could even, you know, I'm, I, my boundaries are so clear now that it's, you know, I was touched when I wasn't asked to be touched and I was spoken to in a way that I wasn't asked to be spoken to. Um, and I probably, I felt like I almost had PTSD after it because as soon as I heard certain accents, I would freak out about it. I was like, I don't really know how to go about this. I think I felt more unsafe in the UK than I ever have done in Indonesia and Dubai. So how did you feel when those men apologized to you? The ones from last year? Yeah. They never did. (laughs) I didn't think they would. They probably didn't. Um, Absolutely not, because it would have been turned around on me. You know, I would have been the inappropriate one. How so? Oh, you know, having a conversation with them. They would have blamed me. They would have pushed it onto me. Um, Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I had one, one of them um, turn around to me and say, with my partner being less than a meter away from me, saying, if you get bored in your relationship, give me a message and you can come to these particular types of parties with him and then try to force me to go outside with him to talk about them. I was mortified, mortified. Yeah. Um, Because those are insights you just don't want to have about someone. Yeah, absolutely. And also they work within, again, a hospitality industry where they are going to have other women around them and female guests too. And you think about it, like I was supporting them in looking for ways in which they could escort female um, guests home. So they had like concierge services that could then support them. And, you know, I said, one of the main things that lots of people are doing now in the UK is if a woman goes out, you then offer a service to bring them home safely or back to wherever they're staying safely. And I was like, I wouldn't feel safe with either of these men. Mm-hmm. I said, what, what is this? Yeah. This is ridiculous. This is supposed to be a completely five-star establishment in the center of London. Yeah. Well, so what is that all about? And, and why do you think they think it's okay? Honestly, I would bring it down to an ego thing, um, an imbalance in their own masculine feminine of them believing that they are, they deserve it and they are, you know, it's mine, I can take it. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even know a lot. The thing is a lot of the time it comes down to their own parenting and their parents and their upbringing and what their upbringing looks like. And this is sometimes that I, I, some things I really struggle with because I can pinpoint and pick apart why people do certain things. And so then I may excuse them of their behavior. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I th- I mean, I guess that's also one of the, like, I've worked with amazing coaches and psychologists and things like that. So, you know, I go, I know exactly why they're doing that. They're doing it because of X, Y, and Z. And then you try and like excuse it and brush off and things like that. But then nobody teaches them. So I would always say, again, comes down to education and education starts with their family and this where they're brought up and mm-hmm. major you know, cultural differences. Yeah. So Steph, you're you're involved at some level in an organization in, in the UK related to domestic abuse. Can you tell tell us about that and, and how you came to find that as an interest? Yeah, of course. So I worked, so I was approached by a girl called Stephanie. Um, so she was actually living in Bali when I was living in Bali. She started a project over here working with women. So their originated project started here. They were working with women from Bali, so within the local culture. Um, talking about domestic violence and it was the most moving series of portraits and videos that they put together and created and I was and one of the women Wyan she is I would call her my barley mother and she is the face of the, she was the face of the brand when it first started and it's called We Are Women United and it's all about um educating and supporting women to find their voice and tell their stories when it comes to domestic abuse. So I started following them and then I was in London last summer and I saw them post on their stories. We're looking for a series of women within the London area who would like to come forward and share their stories on domestic abuse. And so I put myself forward because I was in a domestic abuse relationship I met him when I was 15 and I was with him up until about 21, 22, uh, on and off. Um, the abuse got worse as I got older, as he got older as well. Um, and it probably hit its peak when I was 20 turning 21. Anyway, so I reached out to this charity. I went and I told my story. We took these amazing portraits. I was in a room full of women who had all gone through something similar. We all cried together. We all laughed together. We all held space for each other. Um, we spoke when I was doing my interview, I spoke about my own experience with it. And I never necessarily thought that I would classify myself as like a domestic abuse survivor or, you know, a victim. And it's not something I necessarily like to think of either now um, because I'm 31, it's been 10 years and it doesn't hold, hold any part of my life anymore. I'm very grateful for it. It's taught me so much about myself and my own resilience um, and how I now take no rubbish from no man (laughs) 
Um, but it was amazing because we also spoke about, you know, the importance of forgiveness, forgiveness of self. Um, we spoke about education and, you know, confidence and belief and self-love. Um, and I think it's so important when it comes to everything in life, not just, you know, violence or your own, uh, like abuse towards self. I also did that. I I suffered with anorexia at the same time as I was going through the abuse. You know, you try and control one thing with another. It was, it was one of those things. So, and when it comes to business, when it comes to life, when it comes to relationships, you know, that we have to go through these series of trusting in ourselves and knowing that the decision, that, that thing, that gut feeling that is happening in our lives that is right or what's wrong you know when something isn't working yeah in all realms of life you have to trust that you have to trust yourself to know that you can hold yourself if it goes wrong then you have to believe in yourself that you can actually move through to that next phase and then you've got to forgive yourself for all the things that happened before you know there's no point in beating yourself up if you've been in you know that you stayed in that relationship for too long or that you were that you felt judged or dirty or something because of some sort of sexual harassment in the workplace or that if a business failed or that you lost a client or that you know according to society having too many jobs on your cv is a bad thing you know why can't you trust yourself and your own gut and instinct and knowing that you're making the right choices for yourself. Even if you do feel a little bit lost, you have to go through these motions. So, you know, it was a really, really beautiful experience. You're very candid on your social media about your journey. Um, What does that do for you to, to be, to put your story out? The reason why I do it is because to, to, I feel like normalize is the wrong word, but, do you know what I mean by, by normalizing a situation or by showing other people that there is no such thing as perfection in your life from the outside looking in, everything can look amazing, especially on social media, Mm -hmm. but you know, the journey in which lots of people take. And I've had people come to me and say, I never knew that you went through that. I say, it's because I don't, I never would speak about it before. Or like, I never really knew what was happening or, um, because you judged me from the outside looking in. If I can change the perspective of one person so that they do something for themselves because I made a mistake and I'm talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the most amazing thing in the whole entire world. And I'm just one person who doesn't have a huge following, who doesn't really do, you know, I'm not an influential person. I just speak honestly because I think stories being told are so important. You know, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, if you take a look at someone like you, what an amazing life you've led to date, the things that you've accomplished, the places that you've been, the experiences that you've had. And I mean, you're beautiful, you're young, you're outgoing, all these things. And you think, wow, what a perfect life. Mm. And, and I think that's the thing that we sort of enclose in here, that it, it, we make it look as, as perfect as we can. And yeah. 
in the same time, um, it's not so perfect. And I can think of times in my life where I would be somewhere or doing something and I'd think, if only all these people knew how completely terrified I am right now. Yeah. But they're, they're looking at the outside and they're seeing, you know, that I'm well-groomed. I'm, you know, I've got clothes that are, I've always seen my clothes as armor. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, this is the way we all are though, because the way I was feeling Everybody else was probably feeling as well because we hide it so well and we learn how to hide it. And it's, it's just not easy. And I think that when I was coming up, you did not talk about feeling anxious or having anxiety. You just suffered through it as best you could and tried to survive and, and not everybody can survive it. And I think that yeah. we've come such a long way in being willing to talk about it and saying, it's okay. We're just, we're just all humans and flawed and trying to make our own way. Exactly. And that's it. I mean, you know, last year I was having to talk myself down numerous times from panic attacks in the middle of pub, in the middle of the general public, mm-hmm. you know, nobody really knew that other than the people who were closest to me. And that would be I was my partner at the time. I remember we were on a hill in London. It was very overstimulating. There was lots of noise around. It was warm. And I ended up having this big panic attack. But because he'd already been with with me and I'd already had, this would have been my third, he knew straight away what to do. And I'm really lucky over here as well that I can talk to people, my housemate you know, the people around me, the women around me, and I'll be like, I'm having a really low day mentally, guys, or like my anxiety is really bad. And I can be really open and honest. Online, you know, it's not something I I talk about all the time, especially, um, I don't even know. I think I'll mention it every so often, but that's it. From the outside looking in, it could look hunky-dory. It could look amazing. I'm living this beautiful life over here in Bali. It's all great. And you know, the weather's beautiful, but I work hard every single day. I barely leave the house. Sometimes I haven't gone to the gym in three days because I've got so much to do because I'm going to take my first week off work next week. Yes. (laughs) And then, yeah, my anxiety has been through the roof, but I keep drinking coffee (laughs) and it's just one of those things. My to-do list is as long as my arm. Um, and we're all so imperfectly perfect and we're all going through everything and our life is never as simple as it seems, but we have to be, and this is something that I always try and remind myself is that we have to be as forgiving as we possibly can because we know what our capacity is and you will know if you're in your comfort zone because you don't want to leave it and you're all cushy and things like that. But if you can keep pushing yourself that little bit more, then you're going to find where that growth sits. And that's like that growth spot. Um, But we know where our capacity lies. And if we make mistakes, we've got to learn to be forgiving. If we do something wrong, if we say the wrong thing, if we lose a client, you know, something better is going to come along. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it all adds to our strength on, on the journey. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to ask you too, who was your biggest influence when you were growing up? It would be my parents. Absolutely. Um, God, my dad, because of his work ethic, 
but my mum because of her her kind of like excuse my language get shit done attitude <laughs> she was you know nothing nothing phased and I mean my mum I'm I would say I'm a, I'm a perfect balance between the two and my mum and my dad you know I have like the business drive um and the I can think in a very different way and then my mum is more on the emotional side so I but I have the like can do you know fi- find the um find the solution you yeah. know strip it apart we'll find the solution you know that kind of thing my that my mum does she'll pull everything out of the cupboard and then she'll reorganize the things that's what I do with people's words I pull everything out and then we put it all back in and then it makes sense so my mum has that and then my dad has the different way of thinking so and the business mentality so I have the two I would say that they are my biggest inspirations always and they are always the ones that will pull me up when I need it the most so if I am not in alignment, they're like, where is the woman that we know? Go get her. Mm-hmm. And I go, shit, okay, yeah. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> oh, yeah. So our three questions that I wanted to turn to now. Uh, so first of all, what is the best career advice that you've ever received? Um, do it quick. Make mistakes. Do it again and you know learn from it so it's it's that process yeah get it out before it's perfect make mistakes listen in do it again keep going i like that yeah because sometimes just getting started is the hard part exactly as one of my clients um says she says start before you're ready hmm yeah sometimes you have to do that yeah absolutely so the second question is, is there a book that has influenced you or which you found helpful in your journey? Absolutely. Uh, the book that made me quit my job when I was 27, I wrote a post on it, about it on LinkedIn. It's called The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck by Sarah Knight. I think I read about four or five chapters and then I handed in my resignation via email, closed my laptop, switched my phone off, went out and got drunk. It was the best decision I've ever made. <laughs> Are you saying this book inspired you to, to do that? my job? Yeah, absolutely. It's all about um, saying no to the things that don't serve you so that you say yes to yourself. Ooh, I like that. Okay. Yeah. And what advice would you give your younger self, Steph? Um, love yourself more. Mm, yeah yeah because we're so worthy of it but yeah absolutely love myself more yeah I you know I I really appreciate you saying that because it's so true and sometimes I think well okay if if you're struggling with that feeling then how about just appreciate your your liver your kidneys your heart your brain everything that's putting this together just just that if you can't if you can't sort of um appreciate what your thoughts are telling you because as you know thoughts can be really mean to us and which is odd (laughs) i Mm -hmm. I struggle with understanding why our own thoughts are mean to us i know no sense whatsoever so um 
I heard recently, what we should do is not listen to ourselves, but talk to ourselves. Mm. I agree. Talking to yourself, journaling to yourself, telling yourself how proud you are, you know, these kind of things. Celebrate the small, the smallest of wins. Uh, A really good friend of mine, she's also a female empowerment coach. I was speaking to her because I decided that I wanted to commit to something other than my business at the minute. So I've committed to a new training program and I'd lost half an inch around my waist and um, half an inch just below my belly button. I thought, oh, it's only half an inch kind of thing. And she said, But if you don't, she was like, celebrate your small ones. Otherwise, nothing will be good enough for you. Yeah. And I just thought that's so true. Yeah. You know, the tiniest things. If you can get yourself out of bed in the morning, celebrate that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 That was it. It's it's so true. And um, yeah, it's just... It, part of the journey, I guess. I, I don't mm-hmm. understand it, but um, if we could just be a little kinder to ourselves, that yeah. that would be a, a very uh, big goal to have and a great accomplishment. So. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things as well, whilst being kinder to ourselves, because more often than not, we think that other people are judging us for where we are in our lives or what we're doing or what we're saying. Mm-hmm. And the majority of people are more worried about themselves than they are about you. Yep. So just do the thing. And I own it. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks so much for chatting with me today. Is there anything else that you wanted to add or say before we finish off? No, that was really good. Thank you. Okay. I really enjoyed that. Thanks, Steph. To our viewers and listeners, thanks so much for joining Steph and me today for this conversation. It's it's so interesting when we talk with each other and we look so good on the outside and there's so much churning going on on the inside. And it's just something that we have to keep remembering that we're amazing. We're, we're all amazing in our own way. We literally are. We literally are. <laughs> so... Please uh, listen to my podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you are a viewer, uh, check us out on YouTube. And thanks so much again for joining us. And until we meet again. Thank you.